You may have caught Mark Humphreys as the imposing presence delivering satire on the 7.30 report. He serves it with boundless charm and an engaging twinkle of the eye. You might also have found him as the amiable and accomplished host of the local version of the UK quiz success Pointless. The television platform seems the likely home for Humphreys, who grew up with an appetite for television variety and who was the son of a former ABC weatherman. Early forays into a television studio ignited an ambition to entertain and amuse. Humphreys also hosts a passion for musical theatre. He recently was triumphant in the series of Celebrity Mastermind with his special subject, the musicals of Stephen Sondheim. His charm and personality are reminiscent of the television gods of yesteryear, but with an essential contemporary edge. He is equipped with a smile as broad as a bridge, a mischievous glint that hints at naughty, and a masterful way with words. Indelible assets for satirical comedy and television variety. He spoke with stages examining the path he has taken, the challenge of writing and delivering comedy in present times, quiz shows and, of course, the magic of the musical. You're, you're my tester. You're the guinea pig. <laughs> so I'm glad we've got the connections correct. If nothing else, you know, regardless of the quality of the conversation, we can say, wow, but, but what a great connection. Um, so we'll settle for that. Well, lovely to see you again, Mark Humphreys. <laughs> oh, Peter, always, should, always should, a pleasure. Should we continue that illusion through this, uh, this conversation? Sure. Are you going to be eating that sandwich the whole time? Uh, yes, could you pass me that uh, mayonnaise from the end of the table? There you are. Um, there you isn't are. it um, extraordinary, the technology available to people to continue uh, doing their job, certainly in the media and, and um with podcasting and what everyone's doing on Facebook, uh, entertainment is still managing to continue. Yes, yeah, I, it's 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 very interesting watching everyone kind of try and work out how to do this. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm still personally, I'm still in some, still in denial. Uh, <laughs> I'm still not accepting this as the new reality. But for those people who are enterprising and are putting their thinking caps on and trying to find ways forward. I, 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 I really do admire that. But I'm still sort of like, uh, I, I don't want to, I, I'm already tired of people of seeing people's living rooms. So we need to get, you know, can there be some sort of maybe production designers, some sort of service where like they deliver a set to your house or something or just, I think, I think just everyone's houses just need a little bit of a lift. Well, I think with um, technology like Zoom, people are, are managing to put a backdrop of their choice. <laughs> into their, true, uh, true. their images, which is good. Uh, and we're not seeing each other at all today. This is like a phone call, but I believe the audio will be very good for the listener. Great. That's, what we're, that's, what, that's, that's our excuse and we're, we're sticking with it. So how, how are you coping generally with this pandemic? I think it's the worst pandemic I've been through, Peter. <laughs> I, don't, I don't rate it at all. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a for me it's a, it's a it's a day to day thing. I think for a lot of people it's a day to day thing. I, I, I have peaks and troughs. I have a lot of people living in my house. My um, wife's family is staying with us from Russia. Her parents and her brother, and they are lovely people, but they are there are a lot of them, and we already have uh, you know we have two small children as well. It's just um, it's a full house, and uh, I'm an only child, and I'm not used to having this many people around. So I'm just uh, you know, <laughs> learning to adjust to that. And also they all speak Russian, which I don't. 
So it's it's kind of like walking into a Russian sitcom every time I get home, um, but I'm not laughing. So uh, it's it's a, it's that that's a sort of challenge. But I'm very lucky that I've still got employment in terms of uh, these fortnightly sketches that I make for um, 7.30 on the ABC. So I'm, I'm lucky that I have a reason to get out of the house from time to time. I have noticed that you've stopped shaving. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, this is a new look or, or this is yeah. the, um, the pandemic growth? Uh, yeah, I think the pandemic, I think something's just clicked. I think something's just... Something's just switched in my head, and I'm just going, "Why am I, why am I bothering?" Uh, <laughs> it's um, yeah, and I think I also just wanted to see if I still could. I haven't. I used. To, I had a beard years ago, and I haven't uh, haven't had one for a while. And um, so I'm kind of. I'm sort of to give a visual for people. I'm sort of at the kind of uh, Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan Kenobi in Star Wars Episode Two. That's kind of where I'm at. Episode Two, Three. That sort of growth. Um, and I like it. I like it. Well, um, I think you're doing an admirable job. Thank you. Thank you. I always kind of, I, I used to have my hair really long and, and a beard, and I was kind of going for a Barry Gibb look. So I'm sort of, I'm toying with, with bringing the Gibb back. I, I think Barry Gibb circa 1977 was a, was, it was a peak. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I, I can't imagine because you're so clean cut. You yeah. remind me of Guy Smiley. Remember Guy Smiley on Sesame Street, the uh, the TV host. I, Actually, my ses- my I... Sesame Street years are probably a little bit longer than yours. Before possibly, yours. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the power of the internet to see. There's Guy Smiley. Right, got you. Yeah. Oh, you've looked. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've looked him up. There we go. Magic. I didn't say Cookie Monster. No, no, thank you. Yeah, yeah. no, I've, I've kind of I've got a bit of the Max Headroom about me. Um, a little bit of David Tench, basically digital characters. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, traditionally I've always, enjoyed, I've always gone for the clean cut look, but yeah, I think just laziness at the moment has kicked in. So here we are together at last for the first time. Now, do you pick <laughs> up that reference? reference? I, together at last for the first time, yes. Um, uh, that, uh, I'm drawing a together blank. At together at last for the first for time. The first time. Uh, the, 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 ah, the dream. Is not it, not so is much it, the um, quiz master now, are we? No, is it uh, Young Frankenstein? Or oh, it, yes, no? correct, correct. Is that right? Thank yes, you. Yes, I bow to a greater power. Uh, this is why you're celebrity um, quiz champion on Mastermind, no doubt. Thank, thank you. Yes, and I saw. I actually saw Young Frankenstein in London uh, a couple of years back, and but I made the mistake of going and seeing it the afternoon that I got off the. Uh, you know, twenty-four hour flight from Sydney, and uh, I, a bit I, naughty. I, I, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit naughty, and so the, the the second act is a little blurry, but um, uh, it started strong. I remember that. <laughs> well, it's a it's a great show. I think it transferred to the stage really well. I saw an amateur company uh, a couple of years ago, also, and um, great fan of the film, and I, mm. I think they certainly did a great job putting that onto the stage. We were going to see it, of course, later in the year at uh, the Hayes. Fingers crossed we still will. Who knows? Yes. Um, yes, I was very excited by that because, I mean, I was at the Hayes announcement um, for the 2020 season and firstly, I mean, Shannon Dooley, who was so brilliant in American Psycho, I was really excited to see see her perform uh, a number from uh, 
Young Frankenstein. And also, I think it was, unless I'm mistaken, I think the director was going to be Alexander... Berlage. Was it Berlage, yeah. Mm. Who, yes, did a... I mean, I, I just thought uh, American Psycho was phenomenal. And I was, I'm really frustrated for that company that we're going to tour with it a little bit. I think they were going to do the Opera House and, and think go to Wollongong even and maybe some other places. But I, I do hope that show has a... Uh, continued life because it was a, a brilliant, brilliant production. I, I think about it a lot. So you're a great fan of musicals, of course. When did all that start? Mm. Well, I think it, it must have been Phantom. I'm sure Phantom of the Opera was the first show that I saw. And I think I was eight or nine. And I know Rob Guest was Phantom and uh, Peter Cousins was Raul and because I remember I always remember that I didn't like Peter Cousins and what I mean by that is no reflection on his performance I didn't like Raul and so by association for a long time I thought I didn't like Peter Cousins but I realized <laughs> I actually just didn't like Raul I just wanted Christine to end up with <laughs> the Phantom um, and then but as for Christine I wasn't sure who I saw but you inter- you interviewed um, Marie Johnson a few Marie, weeks ago yeah you, I, I think you might have seen Marie Johnson yeah, so that's what I think now. So that was kind of an exciting revelation to hear that podcast and for it to kind of um, fall into place. And I love, you know, hearing that she's still with Phantom, um, you know, on Broadway now, uh, Playing all these years later. But yeah, so that's 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 fantastic. So anyway, that that show just came at the right time. It was so theatrical, as everyone knows. And the story I always tell is 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 about the chandelier, which is just. I, I, that was a visceral response I had to the whoosh of the chandelier coming down. I, 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 I don't think I had imagined that something like that could happen in a in a show. And uh, I had I did subsequently read something that I think that Australia's I think Australia had some quite lax um, OHS laws, and so we I think we had the fastest chandelier in the world. <laughs> so that's really enhanced that experience. But I I mean I kept. I'm pretty sure I've still got the program somewhere. I I even kept the box of chocolates um, that we got on the night and the little wrappers inside. It was it was, it was such an experience. And Rob Guest was someone who I then kind of always kept an eye on. And I remember when Wicked was announced for Australia, and they said Rob Guest was playing the Wicked or the Wizard. Sorry, I I, I uh, thought well, I've got to go. I've got to go to Melbourne. And see it, and and I did, and I saw Rob Guest, and I'm and I'm really glad I did because because a couple of weeks later, obviously tragically died, but the um, he was so impressive, uh, and I think so. I think Rob Guest is to a, you know to a certain extent part of the reason for my passion. Actually, I remember as well being at my grandparents' retirement village at a um, trivia night they were having. And the question was, who is singing in this um, clip? And it was um, it was uh, music of the night, and everyone at the table went, "Oh, Michael Crawford." And I was in, I was going, "No, no, Rob Guest <laughs> is the fandom." And I was so insistent. And, I, and my memory is that they, the table, reluctantly wrote Rob Guest on the on the uh, sheet, and then you know, the answer was Michael Crawford. And that was the first time I became aware that. Oh, there's multiple productions of, of a, a show. It's not, this is not some sort of yeah. That's right, exactly. This is not the definitive, but I mean, for me, it was the definitive um, 
production and uh i i've since since gone on to see see the show sort of in london old carpenter i think i saw play phantom in london uh and then i saw i saw warlow when he came back um uh in what was that 2009 something like that i can't remember yeah. now um well, i think that the yeah, so, that show yeah. though is is hell prince's staging um it's, right it's right extraordinarily theatrical and and just well, I think it was interesting. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like in Masquerade, I had no concept that half of the people on the stage were mannequins. You know, I didn't. That, that when illusion. I found out that, I, yes, I thought that, when I read, found that out years later, I thought that was genius. I, as a child, it did not even. I was just like, oh, this is a this is an impressively massive cast. Uh, well, <laughs> never well, well, people... Walking around Sydney at, at the moment, I've been telling people that it is like the opening of Act Two of Phantom of the Opera. Uh, the, the plethora of masks that people are wearing. I see. Right. Sorry. I yes, guess you're right. right. You're th- Where's he going with yes. this? I was just thinking. God. Yes. Has some stagehand been murdered? Um, the um, yeah. No. That's uh, that's that's very true. I haven't. I, I regret to say I haven't invested in a mask yet. I just I just haven't found the right one. Um, I think if they could come up with some sort of yeah uh, COVID nineteen mask for the musical theatre aficionado if there was some sort of phantom um uh replica or something uh, obviously not not very effective <laughs> but, but for audiences that, that too, one, to, to stop them coughing would be great the sound yeah right yeah. exactly so anyway so phantom was the was the show and um uh that's where it sort of started but i, I do think i was in a production of joseph when i was uh in year one or something and uh, my main memory of that, I think I was one of, I think Joseph has a lot of brothers, doesn't he? I, I, I oh, many, 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 I think I was many, one of, many brothers, yes. I was, one of the, I was one of the lesser brothers and um, at age you know, seven or what have you. And my main memory of that show was that the, uh, the kid who played Joseph, who was very theatrical, he was, very, he was a great performer even at age eight or whatever it was. And, but at the, I think at the end of the show, he was supposed to come out as sort of old Joseph with a cane, and I just remember we're waiting for him in his, this final scene, and we just hear from off stage this child's voice shout out, "Someone's stolen the cane!" <laughs> and uh, and then he sort of, eventually he reluctantly comes out on stage, you know, sans cane, and sort of hobbling, uh, mock hobbling, and sort of says to the audience, "I'm supposed to have a cane." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that was that, I think that was the first time I saw someone kind of break character. <laughs> well, and your first exposure uh, to a diva. Yes, exactly. I mean, this kid. I mean, unbelievable child actors. But um, yeah, so those, those are the. So I guess yeah, Lloyd Webber was the the link there um, early on. And uh, but yeah, it was that was sort of the start for me. And then it was it was when I became aware of Wicked um, many years later, when I sort of. Yeah, my real passion kind of kicked in, and I started becoming sort of collecting cast albums and you know doing that sort of thing. So, what, what what's the attraction to to musicals? Is it the escapist element? Is it the storytelling? Why why this obsession? I think well, yes, I think I think both of those things. But I, I, in my head, it's sort of the it's a uh, yeah. I think the escapism of I kind of like the idea of a world where people do <laughs> do do break into song. That seems like a very appealing world to me. Uh, oh, I like yes. that you're getting, 
I like that you're getting the best of several worlds. I like that you're you're, you're getting terrific dramatic performances and singing and dancing. And uh, yes, I love it's that it's a marriage full... of those three disciplines, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, to me, it's the ultimate theatrical experience. It's just it, it's 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 so rich. It's just a it's like a really you know fantastic cake. Um, so uh, and I and I find them incredibly moving. I mean, I, you know, I enjoy plays but not to a level that i don't think i get invested in them in the, in the way that i do with musicals I, I find musicals very very moving i'm easily easily pushed to tears in a, in a musical and swept up in the music and the emotion of everything um and 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 more <laughs> the sort of side note of that musical theater people are good people i just find that when you find your musical theater folks uh it's a very strong connection it's i've made great friends through musical theater and um so it's there's a community element to it as well which you know people who love theater broadly that's one thing but people who love musical theater it's just it's another type of personality and i and i'm and i'm prepared to say that they are a better class of person oh are you a performer <laughs> yourself have you performed in musicals weirdly not no i mean i i did a um when i was in high school my i, I studied latin and my latin teacher uh Emily Matters, she uh, she wrote a musical called I Claudia, so it was sort of a spin <laughs> on I Claudius, but I Claudia, and it was kind of it involved Cicero and the poems of Catullus, and uh, and so I was I was Cicero's understudy, uh, and I was also, but I, I mainly played a, a senator, and so that was that sort of I think that, I think that's the last time I was never really involved in the school musical or anything like that. it didn't. I sort of have regrets about that now. I wasn't a big fan of musicals at that time. And maybe if I had been, I would have gotten involved. But, um, yeah, no, I guess I was thinking about other things. But, um, no, I've always been more of a, a fan than a, uh, uh, a performer. Um, so who's your, who's your favourite um, practitioner, uh, writer, well, author? I, I don't want to be – I don't want to be a cliché, but, you know, I, I don't even need to – I don't even need to finish. Jerry Herman. So well, I do love. I mean, look, I, I got. I, I certainly do have time for Jerry Herman. I love Lacage. Uh, you know, if I, I think "Song on the Sand" is one of the most beautiful songs written for, for the musical stage. But um, yeah, look, uh, oh yeah, sometime obviously, it's just it's it's the it, you know the depth of the the human experience that um, that he uh, that he plums and and uh, yeah. So I, I think. Yes, like so many people, that's just been an incredibly rewarding experience to discover Sondheim and, um, you know, go through his uh, archive. Um, He plays to to the brain and the heart at at the same time, doesn't he? Yes. It's a cerebral experience, but also... That's it. And we are very, you know, that's it. We're very, we're highly intelligent people, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Um, So, (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah, so that's that. But I, you know, I'm, I'm not sort of someone who's in that kind of, Sondheim, it's either Sondheim or Lloyd Webber or Sondheim or Jerry Herman. I, I, I really do do love them all, and um, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of time for Lloyd Webber as as well. But um, yeah, Sondheim's the main the main one, and and I think just in terms of Australia, as I say, Rob Rob Guest really made an impact. But I mean, I feel like we're so lucky to have performers like Anthony Warlow and. Caroline O'Connor, especially, I've, I've been lucky to see her perform quite a lot in the last few years, and 
Um, and then, of course, yes, younger people coming up, such as Shannon Dooley. Uh, I think we're very, very fortunate in this country with the talent pool. So um, it's a great place to be a musical theatre fan, Australia. Yeah. Mark, did you grow up in Sydney? Yes. Yes, yeah. I did. So I've, I've lived here my entire life except for one year where I lived in Bordeaux in France. Oh, um, you, were you an exchange student or something? Yeah, basically. So I was doing, doing a degree where the idea is that you go overseas, it was, go overseas for a year and experience the culture and uh, ideally do a bit of study as well. But that kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> fell by the wayside. I, I ended up join because I was studying advertising I, I always wanted to go into something creative I always wanted to write comedy for television primarily but I was too afraid to actually admit that to anyone so I went and studied advertising because I thought that it had, had a creative side to it but also like a professional business side to it that I could justify to my my parents and so uh you know I was doing a degree Degree, which was advertising in French, and yes, on your fourth year, you go and live in you go and live in France, and so I, I was lucky enough to live in Bordeaux. And, and while I was there, I went and I joined a I joined a theatre troupe, and I did um, I did a couple of plays in in French and a couple of short films and things that I hadn't really done here, but that again because I was I don't know nervous, but in France nobody knew me, so I felt like I could sort of. You know, if I made an ass of myself, who cares? No, you know, at the end of the year, I'd come back to Australia, and you know, nobody would be any the, the wiser. So, so I really just indulged in that. And then when I came back to Australia, I started to think, oh, I really enjoyed that. Maybe there's something I can do in the uh, creative space. And so that 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 experience of yeah performing in France gave me the confidence to then think I might be able to give something a crack back in Australia. So through childhood, there was never any ambition to, to, to be an entertainer or a performer of any sort? Well, my, my dad was a weatherman on ABC TV when I was a kid. So there was always the appeal of, I mean, not that I would call weather presenting show business, but it is, you know, it, it's part of television. And my dad was, you know, it, there's, there's an element of performance, obviously, in, in, in presenting the weather. I mean, not not the way that but a, you know, not like a Sam Mack kind of performance on Sunrise, but uh, but there's still there's still, there's still uh, you know delivery and uh, pacing and uh, projection, all those sorts of things. Uh, and so that the world of TV was very exciting to me. So I did always, and I loved watching sitcoms. I grew up on you know Murphy Brown and Golden Girls and Cosby Show. Obviously, you know has a different legacy now, but at that time. Um, you know, Roseanne, all those sorts of things. And so the idea of writing comedy for TV um, always had some appeal for me, but I was quite a shy kid and I, it, it took me a long time to kind of build that confidence. But I, I studied drama in high school and um, hosted the school drama night with my best friend for a couple of years. And so that was another thing where it just gave me a little bit more of a taste of performing and the stage and, and, and um yeah, just nurtured that that side of things, just doing little sketches. And, and we've discovered a share um, passion for those those great hosts of classic television, you know, in the uh, 60s, 70s, 80s in America and Australia, you know, people like Kennedy and Newton and Don Lane and mm. uh, Johnny Carson. They're bound to have had an, an influence, I, I imagine. Well, I think what interested me about those people was um, – 
there will always be sorts of like best of thing. I, I, I seem to remember seeing a lot of like the best of the Don Lane show and the best of Bert Newton, Graham Kennedy. And, and I was always very interested in kind of exploring those legacies a little bit deeper. I remember with Don Lane was one where I, uh, I ended up going and buying the, 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 this massive box set that you can get. This like the best of the Don Lane show. I think it's, I think it's, I might be wrong. I think it's 32 full length episodes. Yes. And I've, I've, it's, I've got, there's two volumes. I've, I've got the same. Yes. Thing. You've got the same thing. Right. Yeah. That was quite an eye opener for me because when you watch the best of someone, you get the impression that that's what the level was all of the time. The, <laughs> when you watch a full 90 minute episode, Unedited, you you come to realise that it's it's a slog to to, to fill to fill a long show like that, and there are peaks and troughs, and there are you know I seem to remember a segment where Don was talking to a butcher. I think he was just talking about <laughs> cu- cuts of meat. Um, I can tell so I can I, tell you I'm I'm old enough to have watched those episodes live, and that mm-hmm. was so exciting. I mean, again, you're watching those volumes with a bit of distance, I guess, and what television yeah. is now. So that is mm. bound to have an You'd never seen a you'd never seen a Scotch fillet before i mean that was when you're uh, that's life-changing but um yeah so no i think it is oh, yes i, I sorry I, I hesitate to be too critical of um things where i've i've had the the, the benefit of hindsight and, and also the benefit of uh, you know millions of hours of entertainment that's subsequently been produced but um yeah so i was always very interested in old show business i love the logies uh, yep. have you uh, been I, I i that has been other than well, if I'm honest, Logies and then the birth of my son. Those are the of my those are the <laughs> <laughs> in that in that order. So I did get to go to the Logies in 2018. That was the first year that they were held on the Gold Coast. I, I was very lucky. I'd just been cast. I'd just been uh, announced as uh, the host of uh, this uh, quiz show on Channel 10 called Pointless, and um, as part of that. In my first week, I got to go to the Logies, and that was a dream come true. I got to spend, you know, I got to have a chat with Sean McAuliffe, who is one of my idols. And, um, you know, there was a moment where they they were about to present, I think, the Best Newcomer or the Graham Kennedy Award. And I just remember just jumping out of my seat, and I think I just shouted out across the auditorium, holy shit, it's Bert! And, and Bert Newton... <laughs> Newton walked on, and then he gave, and then he gave a speech, which you know was subsequently panned for being um, you know uh, sort of out of time and what have you. But nevertheless, the thrill of seeing Bert Newton um, uh, in that context, in a Logies context, was 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 wonderful. And I had I had the best time at the Logies, and and I always think of what Wendy Harmer says about Logies, which she says, um, yes. It's crap television, but it's our crap television. And that's the sort of love-hate relationship I have with it. There's a lot about the Australian TV industry that I think is subpar, and God knows I've made some of it myself. But uh, there's still the kind of – it is. this is Australia. This is our stuff. This is our uh, – there's a – yeah, as I say, a bit of a love-hate relationship there. But, that, yeah, Logie's uh, – I, my number one recommendation: go and watch the opening of the 1987 Logies, where Don Lane comes in a verse too late on his opening number, and it completely fucks up the rest of the number. Uh, <laughs> that's my that's my hot tip. There've been a few um, classic openings of the um, of the Logies. I remember um, 
uh, Hot Shoe Shuffle, I think it was. David Atkins and Rhonda Birchmore opened one year, and, and poor old Rhonda slipped over in the opening. I've, I've not watched You've that. Have to, uh, they're all to, there oh, to be watched. Yeah. yeah, but that's, that's uh, the, the joy. I... That's the joy and danger of live television, I, I imagine. Exactly. The That actually reminds me, Caroline O'Connor is in the opening of, uh, I think it must be about 1994 or thereabouts, and it's she she's dressed as a robot. Um, they're sort of like robots in diapers or something. It's just a terrible kind of cyborg kind of costume. And uh, and it was the the song "The Heat Is On," mm-hmm. but they changed the lyrics to "The TV's On." <laughs> I mean, this is. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, it really, was brilliant, Peter. Uh, so I I love watching that sort of stuff and. Um, but like you said, Johnny Carson, I, I've become really fascinated by Carson. I love watching old Carson clips, and there's a great podcast called The Carson Podcast um, about that legacy. Um, what and, about Dick, um, Dick Cavett? Dick, Dick Cavett, I, uh, I have so much time for Dick Cavett. Uh, uh, he's, I mean, speaking of podcasts, he's one of the great podcast guests. Anytime that he's on a podcast these days, He's, you know, he's just got anecdotes pouring out of him, usually about Groucho Marx. But, um, yeah, he, I mean, he, that he got to do those sorts of – I mean, it's interesting. In terms of what you're doing, it is in that sort of – I think, you know, I, on some level, without wanting to blow smoke up your eyes, like this podcast is is in the vein of the Dick Cavett Show of long-form conversations um, with the great minds like myself. And uh, but the, you and Groucho Marx exactly. But the I mean, what in terms of who Cavett got to speak to at length, in terms of Orson Welles, Truman Capote, and Catherine Hepburn, um, Gore Vidal. You know, it's really that's a beautiful um, you know back catalogue to, uh, to to go through. Well, it's so the power, the power of the long form interview. I think you know, in an hour or an hour a bit, you can cover quite a lot of territory and get into some quite great detail, uh, which yeah, otherwise yeah. when you're stuck to a 15-minute, 10-minute, um, 8-minute slot, you barely cover anything. Um, oh, yeah. No, I, I, I remember because I used to watch Leno and Conan. I was more always more of a Conan O'Brien guy than a, a Leno guy, but I remember just seeing, you know, just, yeah, and so those eight, yeah, those, those, yeah, like you said, there's nothing you can get across in those those interviews, just people saying how excited they are about the new movie they're working on and something, you know, pretty vapid and then they, they, they move on. But, um, yeah, so I, I'm loving the podcast age and the, the chance to really go deep on people's careers. Um, and there's such a plethora of material out there with podcasts as well, whether it be true crime or, you know, a specialist in playing the ukulele or a comedy show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> This is why I get slightly frustrated with people who say that they're not into podcasts. Like I kind of go, whatever you are interested in, someone is podcasting about it and doing a great job. Like I just think everything you could imagine is is covered. Uh, one thing I'm enjoying at the moment is a podcast called uh, My Little Tonys, where they go back and they watch old Tonys broadcasts and they, um, you know, they're not. I wouldn't say they're savage, but they you know, they critique them and then they talk about that that season on Broadway uh, at greater length but uh, awards shows is something that I've always really been drawn to because again uh, you know there's an element of the musical theater to awards shows there's, there is that heightened theatricality there's usually a big production number 
Uh, I love all of all of that stuff, which is why I get sort of annoyed when with the Logies, whether it's like, oh, we're not having a host or the Oscars or we're not having a host. I, I think, you know, even if it fails, there's let someone come at it with a vision. Let, let someone put their spin on that night rather than just playing it safe and, you know, the nominees are and just bringing out just a couple of people and give them, making them do sort of bad banter. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, when it's a choice, I, choice like Billy Crystal, it can be fantastic uh, when we've got... You're thinking James Franco and Anne Hathaway? Oh, James Franco and Anne Hathaway, you know, and you think, what the was yeah. that choice about? I think Bruce Valanche had something to do. Are you familiar with Bruce Valanche? Indeed, he, um, yes, funny man. Yeah. Yeah, very funny man. But I think he, my understanding is that he was the one that pushed for, you know, James Franco to come out dressed as Marilyn Monroe. And I think, I think that was a kind of clash of generations and styles. I think James Franco is not the sort of, you know, <laughs> Bruce Valange is someone who, you know, worked with Paul Lind and, you know, did the Donnie and, you know, the, the Osmonds sort of, <laughs> you know, did stuff with that in the Star Wars holiday special, I think he was involved in that. Uh, I think it just doesn't quite match with uh, James Franco's <laughs> sensibilities. Look, and it could have been a great hit as well. Who knows? It's you never know. The joy, isn't it? Take you a risk. What's going to work? Yeah. The, the 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 biggest sin you can commit is lack of ambition. I I I I rather that with someone totally goes for something and fails than 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 plays it safe. I love people taking a risk. So yeah, go for it. <laughs> Tell me about your podcast because you started one last year, uh, News Fighters. Oh, uh, that was something that I was in. I was uh, brought on in. as a. Uh, I was involved in as a, a guest host for a week. Yes, yeah, so I, I, an editor named a comedy writer slash editor named Dylan Bain, uh, who's worked with The Chaser and uh, worked on Tonightly, and he's done a lot of work in Australian comedy over the last decade or so. He really wanted there to be a daily news comedy podcast, and so um, we did a yeah a week of pilots, and uh, yeah, I was I was involved in in that, and that's that's yeah, he's very very talented. I think it's one of the tragedies of Australian TV that we don't have a daily news comedy show. Occasionally, we've had them. We've had um, we did have Tonightly for about a year. I was involved in a show called The Roast, which was went for three years, but even then, it was only like a ten minute show a night. There's not. Yeah, I, 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 we haven't, we don't have a rich history of that, but that's something that you know, an itch that I know a lot of people in the industry have been trying to scratch. How did you break, start breaking into TV? Was was that with the feed? Uh, what was, was your first with, TV gig? So the first first thing that I did was I was I, I did an internship on Hungry Beast in 2011, which so Hungry Beast was uh, produced by Andrew Denton and John Casimir and Anita Jacoby. And that was the whole idea behind that was giving, kind of creating a, the next you know, platform for the next generation. And that was something that my understanding is that Andrew Denton really was very keen on that he felt that the, the, part of the ABC's responsibility was to create the opportunities for that next generation. So he came up with this concept and I think they had 17 or so presenters and writers and producers in the first season just young people getting their first break in tv and that show ran for three years and but anyway i was only i was just i was just did a just did a placement there for for a week just to get a taste of it and i got to work with people like dan illich and mark Fennell and lewis hobber and veronica milson people who've gone on to have careers in the 
industry and I still get have been able to work with them today and that was my first taste of it and then and then I got to work on this show the roast which was yeah it was a daily news comedy show it was a, a whopping two minutes a night in its first season uh, it was on at the sexy time of uh, 7 28 p.m I think it was so we did that for a year and then we were very very lucky to be renewed and we got to bump up to a whole yeah 10 minutes a night doing kind of essentially largely political comedy and um you know and a lot of it was you know was 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 not great but it was the value of something like that is to give people like everyone involved in that show to give a new group of people the chance to fail and the chance to learn on the job you know something that's relatively low profile so that if you do fail it's not the end of the world it's a small budget thing but you're getting up your you know ten thousand flying hours or whatever the the, the, <laughs> the phrase is. Um, off your old plates and onto your peas. Yeah, exactly. So and so, I was very lucky to be able to kind of fail publicly, but in a relatively low profile manner for 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 quite some time. And then from there, I went on to the feed on SBS, SBS2 uh, and, uh, and get to make, yeah, political sketches. And then that's where I sort of started to develop some sort of a small following. And um, but politics, you know, political comedy was not something I ever had any ambition to do. I, I always thought that I would yeah, write sitcoms, but it just happened to kind of play out that way. So I'll just ride that train for as long as I can. Well, what about Quizmaster? Was that on your horizon? No, I mean not. In t- I, 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 I certainly watched a lot of quizzes, quiz shows growing up. The, but I never thought that I would get to be one. Um, what did happen though was, I think in 2016, I was watching the ABC and they had Pointless, the British quiz show, uh, on, and I thought, and for those who don't under, who don't know it, it the, the it's sort of a reverse family feud. You're trying instead of instead of, instead of trying to come up with an answer that the most people, the highest number of people thought of, you know, like family feud. You know, what's a what's an item that you might something you might find in a bathroom, uh, a toilet. Okay, well, sixty people said toilet. Instead of trying to think of something really obvious, it's about trying to find something really obscure. So. <laughs> So it'd be like, you know, name an Owen Wilson movie. Now, if you said uh, yeah, Zoolander, that's a lot of people know Zoolander, so that's not a very good answer. But if you said something like Behind Enemy Lines with right. Gene Hackman, that's, that's a very a that's a very obscure answer. So out of 100 people surveyed, maybe only one or two people would have said that. So that's a better answer. Or better yet, no people had, would have said it, and it would have been a pointless answer. So that I just thought that was a brilliant brilliant concept. I really enjoyed it just as a as a viewer. Yeah. But I uh I was watching one day and I had my phone and I just I just put out a tweet into the world. This is when I was, you know, I didn't really have any much of a following. Oh, if I ever make an Australian version of Pointless, I'd love to host it. Fast forward two years, Channel it's announced Channel 10 has built, bought the rights to point to make an Australian version of Pointless. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And again, I'm still thinking, I, I'm, oh, I'm looking forward to watching that. But I did just kind of retweet myself and said, hey, you know, Office still stands at Channel 10, at Endemol Shine, just making sure just to get the production company and the network tagged in the tweet just on the off chance that they were checking their mentions. And uh, luckily, someone was. And uh, a couple of weeks later, I, I got a call saying, uh, uh, "We've got this tweet saying you <laughs> you want to host uh, the Australian version of Pointless. Are you are you being serious or are you being satirical?" I was like, no, 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 dead, deadly serious. And uh, so I guess it's just um, if there's any lesson to it, 
there's I'm a big, you know, a big believer in just putting out, just making it really obvious to people what you love. If you, if you, if you're able to, you know, if you've got a platform, not even if you have a platform, if if, you know, if you, if you're on Twitter or social media, be upfront about what you're passionate about, because um, you never know when, you know, you might be needed for any number of things that where you get to sort of capitalize on that. And something that's been really nice about being very open about the fact that I love musical theatre is that I've, you know, I've then sort of been invited to come along to things and sort of be part of that world even in a kind of um, peripheral way. So I, I think really wear your heart on your sleeve and uh, wonderful things can happen. <laughs> well, listen, if they ever revive The Tonight Show, I'd, I'd love to be, if anyone's listening, I'd love to be Bert Newton to Mark Stone. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, it's funny when I, uh, this is a... I'm just about to out myself for a, a terrible uh, joke that uh, died on its ass recently. But so I was recently, uh, I recently became Australia's celebrity mastermind. I don't bring it up. I tend not to. What do you mean you don't bring it up? It was all over I your socials. I uh, watch I, watch I, I this tend... episode. It's coming up. Uh, yeah. I yeah, thought, yeah, I, yeah. Hello. Yeah. He's one. He wouldn't tell us to he, watch it if he'd lost. That was my concern is that I was like, how do I promote, how do I forward promote this show without making it clear that I'm the winner of it? Um, and for that to happen, I would need everyone else on the show to tweet it. But obviously, everyone else was not as they, you know, they didn't tweet it as <laughs> prolifically as, as as I did. But anyway, as Australia's celebrity mastermind, um, I, <laughs> there was a moment where so I got the I was given the trophy, and uh, Jennifer Byrne said, "Oh, what are you going to do with the trophy?" And then I remembered this line from Don Lane from the Logies several years ago. And I said, so I said, well, it'll be six months at my place and six months at Bert's. Crickets, nothing, no, it was just the worst possible line. <laughs> I got and it. They, I knew what you were talking they, about. Thank, thank you. And they were like, uh, do you want to do you want to go for another take? Yeah, let's go. Let's do another one. <laughs> so I gave some other answer, but that was that was my original response. So as passionate as I am about <laughs> the logies and all that sort of stuff, I'm conscious of the fact uh, that not, not everyone else feels that way. So yeah, celebrity mastermind. What's next for you? The jungle? Uh, oh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> how would you cope with I'd, the jungle? I'd be terrible. I would just be terrible. I, that looks like absolute torture. I think, I, you know, I think it's, it's interesting when they first announced that show. I was really skeptical about it, and, and, and I, 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 generally speaking, I'm not fond of those sorts of shows. But I think. Australians are pretty forgiving and understanding that in this industry there aren't a lot of options. So I think this the stigma about being involved in a show like that is is not is not as strong as I thought it, it might be. And it's actually been really good for people's careers. I know several comedians have really benefited from from sort of profile boost. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it's I think it can have a wonderful impact for people, but in some ways it would be a smart thing to do, but I, I can't actually see myself uh, eating bugs and, um, you know, no. or, or being covered in snakes yes. or whatever the things are. It's, I'm very, as you say, very clean cut. It's a deal breaker. I used to call bingo and I found it very stressful at times, but just the possibility of not hearing a call and then the angry customer venting on you. Are there similar <laughs> pressures anchoring a quiz, quiz show that um, you're going to miss an answer or... You've got a, a time restraint that you have to get everything out in. Uh, what are the, the challenges of, of being a quiz master? There were, there were a bunch of things. The big problem that we had on the show was we were taking a British format, which I think where the episodes were usually 40-something minutes long, 
without ads and having and having to condense that to a commercial half hour, which is about basically 22 minutes of actual content. And so I guess the frustration, I guess the challenge of that show for me was trying to be entertaining while more or less just trying to just getting through the gameplay and trying to keep it quite quick because so much got left on the cutting room floor because you just couldn't, you just couldn't fit it in. So that was one of the frustrations of this. A lot of the fun and the banter and the conversations, all that sort of stuff had to fall by the wayside because you just simply couldn't fit it in the time constraint. So I guess one of the challenges was trying to be kind of constantly or consistently witty or entertaining while getting the actual nuts and bolts of the show, yeah, getting getting through that. Uh, I mean, I found lots of things challenging. The, talking to the contestants was always a gamble in the sense of like, you know, the little interviews you'd have. Sometimes you got really lucky and they had a cracking anecdote and they had a sparkling personality. And other times, you know, not everyone, you know, not everyone is a performer so you know they, they might be really knowledgeable about certain things but they don't you know not everyone has you know killer anecdotes and then there'll be times where i couldn't necessarily think of the best you know quip to come off the back of it so i, I think that the pressure of trying to milk every moment for comedy or some sort of entertainment value i found that quite exhausting also we shot five episodes a day so that was, you know, you're in front of a live studio audience. Each taping goes for about an hour. That's that's you know that's that's a, a different challenge, which you know just that I had not experienced before. I'd only kind of made these two or three minute sketches, you know, in a, in a corner of SBS with nobody, you know, watching. It was like you ran the marathon. Yeah, exactly, precisely. So you know, having a co-host, you've got you know, there's there's a dynamic there that you've got to nurture. So those were the sort of, you know, things that you, the balls you're trying to keep up in the air. But on the positive side, I mean, giving, giving money away is very gratifying experience, especially when it means something to the contestants. Uh, on those occasions where you really sense that they, you know, people who'd never taken a family holiday or things like that, you know, even, even though the prize money was not massive, um, even just a couple of thousand dollars towards something like that clearly meant a lot to to some of the contestants, and so I I, I I was happy for them, and I really got swept up in that. And so, yeah, but I I, I loved being a quiz show host. I, I think it was great fun, and I, where possible, I was trying to give my own sort of nods to you know Glen Ridge and Burjo and Tony Barber and all the things that I'd grown up on. You know, there's. I, I was always just even you know even blankety blanks. I think I was regularly trying to channel. I think sometimes I went a little a little too blue, um, <laughs> and you know I can't even. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't think it made made it to air. But there was some moment where the answer was, you know, the answer was it was, it was like Cyril or something. I was like, it's Cyril, everyone. So, um, and and you crickets. Know, you kind of, Crickets. Crickets again. (laughs) Marcus, go for another one. Uh, So, but in my head, I was. It was hysterical. (laughs) That's it. If you can only make one person laugh, make it yourself. So, (laughs) that's my whole philosophy. So, anyway, I'm giving you a long winded answer. But, yeah, that's what the sort of reality of it was. And, uh, yeah, it was exhausting, but I miss it. So, what's the job title now? Would you you, you call yourself a satirist, a comedian? Yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah, writer, writer, presenter, writer, performer, satirist. Yeah, so basically, yeah, what I do for 
7.30, large, largely political satire. I am now wanting to get into – I do want to, 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 to see if there's something that I can do in the musical theatre space. So we'll see what happens because obviously everything is up in the air at the moment. But uh, I am developing – or was I, I don't know if I still am. It depends whether the uh, how everything pans out. Um, but um, the Hayes Theatre, I, I spoke to them about an idea that I had for uh, for a musical, and they were wonderfully supportive. And so they've been helping me um, to uh, start developing that. And so that's something that I want to have a crack at of, of creating a musical um, with a kind of satirical element to it. And um, fully prepared for the fact that it may die in the ass and I may just come out of the whole experience and say, you know what, I'm actually just a big fan of musicals. I really shouldn't be a practitioner. But uh, it's a world that I love so much that I just want to just give it a try and see if it's something that I could be part of. Got to be in it to win it. Yeah, yeah. And again, like I'd rather fail it's you know I, i'm quite happy to well, i'm sure the, the haze wouldn't be happy for me to fail but i'm I, i'm i'm i, I want to get i want to go for a big swing and um at least that way i can say that i know that i i gave it a gave it a go but it's as i say musicals give me so much so much joy that i uh, i'd love to be able to channel that into something is it difficult to write and perform comedy in the the current global climate of uncertainty and fear yeah, uh, um, it is a challenge. Um, yeah, it's 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 kind of been interesting watching how everything is sort of developed with the with the pandemic because about six weeks ago. So, sorry, is it all right if I break the illusion of when this was recorded, or do you need yes, to? No, absolutely. We're recording them when we can, and they get aired when we can too. But topicalities generally, you know, give it take six months. It's fine. Right, sure. So anyway, it, it, the date at the moment is 15th of April. Yep. So six weeks ago was when the first the first time it became apparent that coronavirus was really going to be all-consuming in a sense of like, not, you know, in, the, in a news sense, in a, in a kind of life sense. We, we sort of were, we were aware of the coronavirus before that, but that's when it really kind of kicked off. And so we had an idea, my writing partner, Evan Williams, and I had an idea for a sketch. And 7.30 at that point were not comfortable. Understandably, they were, they were anxious about us even trying to be funny in that space at a time where we, you know, people were – Starting to, you know, people were getting obviously getting sick. People were starting to die, and also we're on seven thirty. We're on the show, which is at this point almost an emergency broadcast service. It is a show that people are going to for reliable information, you know, trustworthy information. The the role of seven thirty has shifted slightly. There's still you know light and shade and you know lighter stories, but there's a, I think there's a slight, a little bit more of a weight on the show now to be this voice of authority and, and, and reason and science. And, um, and so it was just like, how can we kind of be funny in that space? So they sort of, they were reluctant at that point for us to kind of go full, go full comedy in a coronavirus way. And so we did a, we ended up doing a sketch about Scott Camp, something just sort of traditionally a bit, a bit safer, but then fast forward two weeks and it was clear this was going to be the new normal. And there was no way that we, we would be able to continue making sketches 
about Scott Camp. You know, you know, there was no way that we could, in a world where what you, you're thinking about this virus all the time, we were going to have to be acknowledging it. So now that we've agreed that we are able to tackle it, how do you tackle it? How do you do it in a way that is uh, respectful of, uh, you know, those who are you know, you know, seriously affected by it? Um, but how do you do it in a way that also offers some sort of escapism? Um, and, you know, what's the right tone do you want? Because traditionally, you know, I think we, as political satirists, your target most of the time is those in power and the government and, you know, those sort of authority figures. You know, at this time, to what extent do people want to see you, you know, slamming the government and to what extent do they want to see you um, find some light in the darkness? So that's that's an ongoing question that will come up, you know, uh, sketch by sketch. So so the first sort of coronavirus thing we did was sort of a send-up of those masterclasses. If you've ever seen those ads for um, these masterclasses where um, – Yes, in playwriting writing, yeah. or designing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Steve Martin teaches comedy, Aaron Sorkin teaches screenwriting, uh, Jodie Foster teaches directing, those sorts of things. And so this was, this was you know, this was me teaching, working from home. That was sort of something that a lot of people were starting to become familiar with. Um, but even then it was just like, well, what about those people who have lost their jobs? What about those people who aren't working at all? So you, you start, you, you know, you, you do sort of run around in circles, second-guessing yourself, trying not to, you know, piss off a big chunk of the population. Um, cause, you know, so you have to tread very carefully, I imagine. But at the yeah. same time, it's essential that we retain our senses of humour and continue to laugh. Yes, I think that's what we try to tell ourselves. That's, that's what 730 has been very good about saying. That's, that's, their, that's their philosophy to it. That's, that's their attitude to it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a funny thing. If, if, I think if we were just making sketches that we just put up online, uh, it'd be one thing, but it's because we're within 730s, because we're within this sort of yeah, flagship yeah. current affairs program, there's this extra weight that we, I don't know if we're imagining it, I, but I think it's real. I think there's, there's, there's a certain weight and responsibility of, um, that comes with being part of that program. So we do, we do spend a lot of time trying to really be, you know, you want to be bold and exciting and take risks, but you also want to be, respectful and safe and <laughs> responsible. So uh, I'm making it sound like the hardest job in the world. Obviously, it's not, but it is. These, those are those are the There's a lot of things to consider, yeah. 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 And um, so we've done a couple of sketches now. And, well, and the, so I the, think the, the um, I think, armchair, armchair epidemiologist um, hit the nail on the head, I think. It's sort of you're speaking to all of those uh, self-diagnosis people and... <laughs> having a go and assuming what – well, there, there's so much information out there that people are just sort of taking on everything without looking at the realities or Dr. Norman Swan. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, – yeah, it was nice to see that that seemed to go down well largely. It was interesting seeing a lot of scientists sharing it because they clearly were pissed off <laughs> with everyone suddenly becoming an expert. But then on the other side, there was, it was nice seeing a lot of – you know, regular people just going, "Yep, this is me. Yep, that's that's what I've become." So that was that was quite nice seeing that that response. So um, so far, I think people have been pretty 
understanding of what we're trying to do and uh, not I have I'm not conscious of a kind of how dare you make you know light of this situation or anything I, I think people I think you're right I think people do want a little bit of escapism and, and, and relief um, so we've, we've been lucky there yeah Mark thank you for um, taking some time to to share some insight and um, some anecdotes um, it's been terrific it has, hasn't it? Um, and uh, thank you. <laughs> yes, the pleasure's all yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm such a big. That's the other thing. I'm always. I'm such a big fan of Martin Short, and I, I always. I always love. I'm, I really love those performers who are simultaneously they are show business, like they're legitimate show business stars, like Martin Short, but they are simultaneously a parody of show business. They're also you know, sending up all the kind of, um, yeah. And that's something you, you do, you do very well. Well, thank um, you. I'm just, I'm just aping my idols. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's important to have those, those heroes and those idols and then try and match them, which is something I'm, I know that you certainly will. And well, and as we always say, anything you do, let it come from you and it will be new. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but thank you, thank you, Peter, for having me, and thank you very much for this podcast. This is a this is a listener. I, I really think it's a phenomenal um, a show. I think you've, you're a wonderful interviewer. You've had brilliant guests, and um, I'm thrilled to uh, even be on a list of names uh, with all those other people that you've spoken to. Thanks, mate. A great pleasure to have you. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for making us a part of your podcast listening. A new episode of The Stages podcast is released every Thursday and occasionally there's a bonus episode dropped in for good measure. I know that many of you have been recommending the podcast to colleagues and friends and your enthusiasm is much appreciated, as are the many emails and messages I receive communicating your enjoyment of the episodes. But you couldn't go one step further, could you? Take a moment to rate and review the podcast. You can do this through the podcast iTunes app where you probably access this episode. Uh, It helps to get the series promoted and received. Until next time, I'm Peter Ayers and you've been listening to another episode of Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives. Keep warm, keep well, and I'll catch you next time.